Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. All right, so we're going to carry on with the Jesus trip, and we're going to we're going to jump right into it. We're going to read. Uh, we're going to look at Hosea. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I open my Bible in the mornings and I think, "What am I going to read?" I don't automatically go to Hosea. You know, if I if I find myself there, it's honestly sometimes quite a bit of an accident. But I've been absolutely blessed by reading. I've read it before. Don't worry. You know, like you know, like, uh oh, <laughs> what's he going to tell us? It's all good. But uh, there's some beautiful things in the book of Hosea. There really is, and, and it's like Pastor Carl said, you you leave, you got to leave so much out. So hopefully that whatever we're going to talk about today, hopefully there's some things that, you know, you might just, you might have read something and you're still tracking and feel free to like send in an email. Some people are still doing that. I got a really good email this past week from uh, Amy Lupa. I don't know if she's here, but she actually really blessed me. She pointed out something uh, about the kings, how she's, she's reading and she's reading about the uh, one king's good and other king's bad and it seems to be so arbitrary. You know, it's not like a good king leads to a bad king and a bad king leads to a good king. And, uh, and she said, it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like a sports event. She's kind of reading and she's like, man, I, I wonder if this king's going to be good. Is he going to be good? No. Disappointed. Got it. Is he going to be good? Yes. Yeah. I found a good one. And, uh, and, and Amy's summary of this whole thing was just, uh, isn't it awesome that Jesus, he followed in the way of his father perfectly. Our father was perfect. Our, our, our king perfectly followed in the steps of his father and we get to to live in in his reign and in his rule isn't that beautiful i thought that was a really good way to see jesus amy so good he blessed me real good all right so the last couple weeks we've been looking at elijah and elisha uh elijah's got this uh there's an amazing way to see jesus here where elisha he he ascends Elisha's like, I want, I want the double portion. I want the mantle. I want the anointing that's in your life. Elijah says, you know what? If you see me when I'm taken, he sees him. There's this just this amazing picture of, of Jesus ascending and, and the Holy Spirit coming down. That's beautiful, eh? And, and then you've got Elisha. You've got Elisha where the, the anointing and the mantle that he carried, the double portion mantle, it was something that actually wasn't really transferred in life, for better or for worse. But we see a beautiful picture of how the anointing that he walked in for miracles double portion miracles was actually transferred in death. Remember when he, he, was, he was dead, he was buried, and they opened his grave hastily and threw a dead man in there, and he came to life. He bumped up against the bones of Elijah, and he had resurrection life. Beautiful picture. The spirit of him who uh, raised Jesus from the dead, if he lives in you, he will give life to your mortal body. When we talked about how we're anointed for miracles already. We really are. So the last two weeks, I would highly recommend it to you, especially as we're talking about Canada. I thought the last two weeks were just really, really good practical stuff when it comes to understanding and unpacking this dynamic of the, the work of the Holy Spirit called the Spirit and Power of Elijah. It's something that is going to be at work. It's, some, it's a way that God's going to be moving in the earth in these days, preparing us for uh, seeing Jesus come back, basically. So there's something really amazing to grasp there. But uh, tomorrow, Canada Day, We've got this prophecy here from uh, Pastor Youngi Cho. Uh, Canada Day is also actually uh, mine and Jen's anniversary. Yeah. It'll be 13 years this year, and, and, and I picked it actually so that uh, 
there's always fireworks and I'll never forget. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I wish there was something more going on there, but no. <laughs> All right, so this is the, the prophecy about our Canada. And the Canadian church is going to rise up once again and go to the four corners of the world and bring the gospel, get this, bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to pave the way for a second coming. The gospel of Jesus Christ, not the gospel of moralisms or Christianity or even the Bible, like the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of the person of Jesus. That's something that's being embedded into the DNA of the church in Canada. It's something that's going to find expression through the Canadian church, the gospel, the grace, the good news of Jesus Christ. It's absolutely amazing, and it's totally beautiful. So when I read the book of Hosea, let's keep that in mind for a second, but when I read the book of Hosea, and again, there's lots of things that you got to leave out, but what I saw is this. I saw a beautiful picture of how God takes a people, and this works for, for individuals, this works for families, this works for nations. Let's apply it to Canada. I saw in the book of Hosea, not only did I find Jesus, but I found a beautiful picture of how God, through Jesus, takes a people from where they are, from what's presently being manifested in their lives, into his preferred future for their lives. I found a beautiful picture there. How does God take, take you from point A to point B, where you're, you're go, you've gone from potential to actualization, where you've gone from, you're in the place of promise, but you're all still really messed up, to manifesting everything beautiful that he said that he could have, that you could have in your life. So that's what we're going to see in the book of Hosea in 40 minutes, 45 minutes, I promise. Actually, I shouldn't promise. I will give you here late. All right, so the first, the first thing about this is you have to see and you have to know that God has a preferred future for your life. When we think about Canada, when we hear prophecies like that, you have to know, you have to believe, you have to be convinced that God has something for us. Yes. He has something for you as an individual and us as a country. Look at this, for, for individuals. Romans 8, 29 and 30. I love it in the Message Bible. It says, the Son stands first in the line of humanity that he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. And if you don't like that and you prefer the New King James Version, it says those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God has a plan for you as a person. It's that you would manifest, not just possess, but fully manifest everything in the heart of Jesus Christ. That is your preferred future. That's God's plan for you. All the joy, all the peace, all the life, all the love, all the power, all the authority, all the confidence that Jesus Christ has in his person right now God's destiny for you is to manifest all of that, not just to possess it, but for it to be fully on display in your life right now. That's God's plan for us. That is beautiful. That's amazing. We've all got the most amazing future. We've got the most amazing present. It's absolutely good. God has a plan and a preferred future for the church. I think a really good picture, this is in Isaiah 2. It says, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains. It'll be exalted above all the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. God's preferred future for the church is that the church is going to be the premier influence of all things on planet Earth. That doesn't mean we're going to go back to like the Middle Ages where we're, we're, you know, running things and killing people who don't agree with us. But we are going to be the primary influence on planet Earth. A government wants to make a decision. Well, let's consult the house of God because they've got the mind of the Lord. It goes on to say that the law of God is going to flow from it. Isaiah 60. People are going to want to know, hey, find me a Christian. Find me a Christian. They can help me. They can lead me to Jesus. That's the destiny that we have as a church. That's kind of big picture, but then you can start to see it and you can start to imagine. 
God has a beautiful end for us. This is where he wants us to be. This is the, the, the preferred future. He's got a beautiful picture for, for the nations and for the whole world. Habakkuk 2.14. The earth is going to be totally destroyed with fire when he comes back, and everything you ever thought he loved is going to be gone. No. No. No, God has a plan for planet earth. He has a plan for the geology, the, the, the geography, the, the ecosystems, the environment, the people, the politics, the way we organize ourselves. Everything on planet Earth is going to manifest the knowledge of the glory of God. And it's going to do this for a very long time. We're not destined to get burned up and all that stuff out there to just disappear. No, God's made this world to manifest and to reveal his glory and his goodness. So when you drive through the city of London, when you drive through the countryside, you can know that what you're actually stepping on, what you're driving over, God has a purpose and a preferred future for all of it. Doesn't that fill you with hope? I mean, God's not just throwing things out. He's got a beautiful picture for all of us. Now, these are like bare bones pictures. These are, these are amazing verses in the Bible to help you to, to start to dream and partner with God to see like, hey, where do I fit into all that? What's your preferred future for my life? What does that look like for me? What does that look like for the place where I work? What does that look like for the city I live in? What does that look like for my neighborhood? Because you know what, part, part of all that, it's only going to happen by you engaging a creative process with Jesus because he's, he's brought us in to be partners in that. It's absolutely stunning. It's not just going to happen without us. We actually have creative input. We're not the robots who are just going to do this and go do that. No, Jesus is like, what do you think? What do you think it should look like? What's your vision for London? How, how, how's your neighborhood going to look? You know, he, he's inviting us into that creative process. So you got to know, you got to see, there's a preferred future. In, uh, in Hosea's day, God had a preferred future for the people of Israel. A little bit different language, but uh, we found it in Hosea chapter 14, uh, verses 5 to 7. He says, I will, be like, I will be to Israel like a refreshing dew from heaven. Israel will blossom like the lily. It will send roots deep into the soil like the cedars of Lebanon. Its branches will spread out like beautiful olive trees, as fragrant as the cedars of Lebanon. My people will again live under my shade. They will flourish like grain and blossom like grapevines. They will be as fragrant as the wines of Lebanon. Kind of flowery language if you're into all that, but even for people like me who aren't, I can see a beautiful picture for Israel in there. God has a plan to, to, to see them flourishing as a people to see their influence intoxicating to the people around them, to see them uh, intriguing. God has a plan to take this nation, Israel, and show the world what a nation looks like organized and, and, and empowered in relationship with the living God. He wants to put that on display. This is a beautiful picture of a, of a nation flourishing, of people doing really, really well. So God's got a plan, or he's got a, he's got a vision. But there's a problem. The people in Hosea's day are absolutely nothing like that beautiful picture. There is no way you can take what's going on in that country at this time. So this is like the, uh, if you're interested in these things, it's the mid-700s BCE. Uh, the, the kingdoms are divided. And, and listen to this. This is, this is how uh, God describes the nation of Israel in the time of Hosea. He says, you make vows and you break them. You steal and you kill and you commit adultery. There's violence everywhere, one murder after another. I mean, that doesn't sound like the flourishing, fragrant people, right? That doesn't sound very good. He says, this is why your land is mourning and everybody's wasting away. You're not flourishing, you're wasting away. That's ugly. 
Hosea 4, 7, he says, There's the, the more priests there are, the more they sin against me. They've exchanged the glory of God for the shame of idols. That's pretty ugly. You can find that in Romans too, actually. Hosea chapter 4, 12 and 13, he says, Look, you guys are in such bad condition. You ask a piece of wood for advice. You think a stick can tell them the future. He says, Longing after idols has made you foolish. You've played the prostitute, serving other gods and deserting your God. You offer sacrifice to idols on mountaintops. Your, your, your daughters, your daughters-in-law, they're involved in immorality and prostitution. All this bad stuff. It's, it's actually really, really awful. The land is basically full of, of violence. It's full of sexual sin. It's full of immorality. It's full of idol worship. It's, it's full of ignorance. The whole, the whole plight is summed up in that beautiful verse, Hosea 4, verse 6, where it says, my people are being destroyed for their lack of knowledge. Not good. Right? Really not good. In fact, it was actually so bad, God looks at the priests and he says, you guys, you guys who are supposed to be the carriers, the deposit of my knowledge, you guys are actually worse than everybody else. You, Hosea 4 verse 8, he says, you actually are encouraging people to sin. Because when they sin, they got to bring an offering. And then when they bring an offering, you get to eat it. Like this is some pretty corrupt stuff, right? Pretty bad. And on top of all of this, they're supposed to be this nation who manifests and models what it looks like to have the Lord as their God. And they're turning to political powers. They're turning to, to foreign leaders and false gods to help them. Hosea 7.11, he says, The people of Israel, they become silly, witless doves, first calling to Egypt, now calling to Assyria. When Israel and Judah saw how sick they were, it says Israel turned to Assyria and Egypt. And then, if this wasn't worse, this is, this is super depraved. Second Chronicles, one of the kings in Judah at the time of Hosea, yeah, they go to fight against the kings of Aram, they lose, and their conclusion is, well, let's go worship the kings of Aram, because they seem to be doing all right. They helped them beat us, so we'll go, we'll go get involved in the false worship of their gods. God's assessment of this people is basically, Hosea 9 verse 10, you guys have become as vile as the gods that you're worshiping. That's bad. I've kind of belabored that point a little bit, but I really want to, want to let you know, God has this beautiful picture for them. They are nowhere near it. Absolutely nowhere near. But one of the beautiful pictures in Hosea, and one of the messages of this book, is no matter where you might feel like you are, say, as, as an individual, from actually manifesting that preferred future that God has for you, no matter how far away you are from that, no matter what you see when you look out, say, at Canada, this country with a beautiful destiny, and you look out and you're like, man, look at how ugly it is out there. Look how dark it is. Look at, look at all, the, all the bad stuff. No matter what, God has a plan to take us from where we are to manifesting the fullness of what he has for us. There's hope. There's hope. God has a plan. He's got a plan. He really does. But like I said, he's got this predicament at, at first. How do I take these violent, immoral, unfaithful, idolatrous, uh, violent, backsliding, God-rejecting people and manifest fruitfulness and blessing? How does he do that? It's a question. I, I, I mean, I read things like that. I read some books. I read, you know, there's some books you can get out there that are compilations of the prophecies over Canada. You know, and, and you, can, you, can, you can read those things and be like, that's so awesome. How's that ever going to happen? You know, have you ever thought about that? I've got amazing personal prophecies over my life, but wow. How are we getting there? Or better yet, somebody tells you their amazing personal prophecies, and you're like, I don't know how you're going to get there. <laughs> Just kidding. Don't do that. Psych. Yeah. 
But maybe you do have a heart for the church, for the culture, for our country. And you asked yourself that question. How do we get there? Well, God has an answer. Here it is. Ready? It's really, really simple. This is what I believe I see in the book of Hosea, and I think that God's demonstrated this throughout history. And he's turned around not just a country, but the whole of humanity using this strategy right here. He sends a word. He sends a word. A word. Now, that might not sound new. It might not sound novel. It's not as, uh, as exciting as 10 steps or six principles to, to shake a nation, to shift a person or a destiny. But if you're looking for something more than a word, not going to happen. This is how God does it. And that's exciting. See, he created everything by his word. He created all things by his word. It's by his word that he moves things. It's by his word that he governs. If you look at a couple different places in Revelation, and actually all throughout the Bible, it talks about him, the voice from the throne. The voice from the throne. God governs. It says Jesus holds all things together by the word of his power. It's by his word. It's by his word. And you got to have a revelation of the power of the word of God. Really do. Jesus, actually, he's talking to his disciples and, he, he, well, and people, and he's giving them this parable about the sower and the seed. And there's some really important aspects of this, but just take it from a big picture for a second. He's like, basically, if you don't understand the dynamics of how the word of God works, if you don't get this, you're not going to get anything. He straight up told the disciples, you got to understand the word. you got to understand the power, the latent power in the word. If you don't, not going to get it. You're not going to appreciate the word when it comes. You're not going to recognize it. It's not going to be able to, to, to work itself out in you because you're not going to be open to it. So Hosea gives us some beautiful insights about the word, how the word comes and brings transformation and changes us and takes us from here to there. So there's a couple things about this, though. There's two, I think there's two distinct characteristics of this transforming and launching word that turns things around, that moves us into our preferred future. If we don't get these things, I think we might miss it. There's two, two good characteristics here. And the first of it is this. He sends his word, but it's an embodied word. It's a word made flesh. And I'll explain what I mean by that here. See, a lot of us honor the word, make great space for the word, and we should. But you know what? Sometimes you can look in the wrong places. So God wants to speak to Israel. He wants to take them from where they are to where they're going. So he sends a word. He tried to communicate with them in a whole bunch of ways. Okay, first of all, we got to see this. He he actually really, really did. Hosea 11, 2, he says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. I called my son out of Egypt, but the more I called to him, the farther he moved from me. So God God did try before. He, He tried to move them. He did. And then, so, so he, he draws close to Israel, and Israel draws away. And you can see pictures of that in some of the things that we've read already. You know, God shows up on the mountain, and the Israelites are like, nope. Moses, you go talk to him. I don't want anything to do with that. Right? So we, we've seen examples of that. Then he tries to get their attention by blessing them. He says, I took care of you in the wilderness, in that dry and thirsty land. This is Hosea 13:5. But when you had eaten and you were satisfied, you became proud and you forgot me. Now, I don't think God was exasperated here. I don't think he was pulling out his hair like, what am I going to do with these people? I keep trying things. But I think the Israelites themselves had to go through this little process of, of God trying to get, get their attention, trying to speak to them. They had to exhaust every other option. It's kind of like the law. You know, Moses brought the law. God knew the law was never going to save anybody. But we had to know that it wouldn't save us. Right? right? 
So he sends the, he, he gives the law through Moses, and, and he's like, okay, well, do your best, because we actually thought we could. We had to exhaust all of our own self-righteous efforts in order to finally come to the realization, wow, I'll just, uh, I'll just accept the righteousness that God gives me as a free gift. And I think it's, it's kind of like this. He sends his word. So he's, he, he's tried this stuff. Israel's not responding. They're not, they're not partnering with him. They're not moving towards that destiny. So he sends a word, and the word that he sends, it's not written in the sky. It's not, it's not an out there word. It's, uh, it's not even a word on Facebook. The transforming, destiny-launching word that God brings comes through a person. It comes embodied in a person. The, word, the Lord gave this message to Hosea, son of Beery, or other translations say the word of the Lord that came to Hosea. Now, there's a word. <laughs> Thank God there's a word. It's not just any word, but it's an embodied word. It's a word that's lived out. There's a word that you come into contact with, you hear, and you rub up against as it's expressed in and through the life of a people. It has flesh and blood. So he comes to Hosea and he says, Hosea, I want you to partner with me. I want you to take this people from where they are to manifesting the fullness of this, this beautiful preferred future and destiny I have for you. But hey, I got a message for you. But here's the kicker, Hosea. You're not just going to be able to write it down and read it. You're not just going to be able to yell it at them. In order to effectively communicate my word, you're going to have to live it out. Your life is going to have to become an embodiment of that word. You are going to have to become the message just as much as you speak it and you share it. So he says to him, in order to do that, go marry a prostitute. <laughs> yeah, as Pastor Carl says, bless the reading of his word. Basically, he says to Hosea, you're going to have to let your life become the message, not just the things that you say. So he put his word of love and restoration and a preferred futures in Hosea's mouth and then made him live it out. God says, go marry a prostitute. Have three kids with her. Get involved with her. You read about this in Hosea chapter 1, 2, and 3. You know what? Your kids are going to be affected. Your, your, your whole life, your deepest personal relationships are going to be impacted by becoming the embodiment of a word. You know what? We're going to have to name one of your kids, Lo Ami, not my people. Another one of your kids you're going to call Lo Rohamah, not loved. So then, after he does this, he goes and he marries the prostitute. He has kids with her. He lets this, this message, this word of love and grace uh, permeate and percolate in his life. It starts to affect who he is. It's affecting his relationships. It, it, it's becoming him. And then after he's living with her, She's still doing the prostitute things. She's still cheating on him. She's still running around doing all this awful stuff. And God says, you know what? Go and love your wife again. Even though she commits adultery with another, this will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods to worship and to love them. God sent a, a word of love. He sent a, a, a grace word through a person whose life and person embodied the message. And that, I think there's a beautiful picture there for us. Sometimes the word, the word that comes that brings something in your life that shifts from here to here, it's a word that if you're looking for out there, you might not hear it. It's a word that's embodied in a people. It's a word that, that comes embodied in the life of another person. This is a beautiful dynamic of the word made flesh, Jesus. 
The word comes and it finds expression in and through a people. It's, it's a lived out word. The word you need to go from here to manifesting everything, not just possessing it, but manifesting it, is to come into contact with the word embodied in people. Right. See, there's so much word. There, there's so much good word. But there's so much word that can be really, really bang on in content, but it's actually disconnected from relationship. It's disconnected from, from a real rubbing shoulders with another flesh and blood human being who manifests the message rather than just speaks it. You need to have that, those relationships where the word that's embodied in a person can rub off on you, that you can catch it. You can, you, you, it's imparted in relationship. There's, there's a missing component of the word that takes you from here to here. There's, there's so many people who have words, 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 but it's an embodied living word. That's what you need. That's what we need. This is what God did in Jesus. See, God was trying to communicate with humanity for a very long time. It says in Hebrews chapter 1, God who at various times, lots of different times, he tried to speak to us. In various ways, lots of different ways he tried to speak. He tried to speak in the wilderness. You know, the big booming voice. He tried to speak in other places. And, 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 and we just kind of moved away. We didn't really connect with it. But he says in these last days, he's spoken to us uh, through his son. See, he tried to speak through the prophets. Hosea was one of those prophets. And he said, you know what? I'm not getting through. Do you know how I'm going get to my, get, get my word through the word that's going to shift not just the nation, but all of humanity from here to the fullness of their purpose? Yeah. I'm going to embody that word. So the word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. Jesus Christ came and actually lived out the love and the grace of God. He manifested the life of God for all of us. We came in contact with the word, but it was a word embodied. See, Jesus didn't just come and stand on a mountaintop and yell at everybody and say, hey, this is the word of the Lord. He brought the word, but he lived the word. It says we touched him. We felt him. We interacted with him. We engaged him. We rubbed up against him. I think some of the most amazing bits in the Bible is where the disciples are like, you know, th there was no sin in him. Think about this. They lived with the guy for three years. They did everything with him. And they're, they're like, wow, there's no fault in this guy. I mean, just he, he rubbed up against them, and they got to rub up against him. And what he carried and the message that he embodied was imparted in a relationship and through person-to-person -person connection. So what does that mean for us? It means uh, on an individual level, it means don't, don't, don't isolate. Yeah. Don't stay away from community. See, the word that's going to come to you, that's going to help you, that's going to help you move from, from, from having all the promises to, to walking and manifesting the fullness of those promises, that word is an embodied word in a people. And it's the church that is the pillar and the ground of truth. One of the amazing things we're going to learn on Wednesday nights is that we as a people actually embody and have in our DNA uh, some specific aspect and message from Jesus Christ that he wants to communicate to the world. And you know what? We, we, we do this. We preach. We got it there. But you know when transformation happens? People come and experience us. People come and they, and they live amongst us. They, they rub shoulders with us. And we as a people, we embody something. We embody a message of the goodness and the grace of God. And people come and they experience that and they get their lives changed, which is absolutely beautiful. So we are quite literally the body of Christ to one another. The word is made flesh again in us. And that is the message that's going to shift a nation. 
it's the nation's not going to shift uh, and, and, and start to manifest the beautiful destiny that God has for us as, as a national church and as a country simply by us standing back and speaking to them, even if what we're speaking is right. That's not it. The word, what we learn in the life of Hosea, what we see in Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, the word that brings a transition and a transformation and that calls things back is a word that's lived and expressed out. That's it. So another thing we learn is this. If you want to be used by God to help bring about this transformation, if you want to be, be used in, in, in helping to shift a nation, a neighborhood, a community, a workplace, an environment, a relationship, if you want to be used to help take people from this, this awful place to a beautiful place, like Hosea, you have to be prepared, first of all, to become that living uh, epistle. You've got to be prepared to do that. And you've got to embrace the challenges and the priorities of being and living a message, not just saying one. And that's difficult. I mean, think about Hosea. He, uh, on one hand, it's pretty easy. Here's, here's the thing. Here, here, here's step one, one through ten for how to manifest the love of God and be a living epistle. Jesus live in my heart. Bam. There it is. The love of God has been shed abroad in your heart. You're fully equipped to do this. You're already one with him. You've got the anointing of God. You've got the power. You've got the love of God. It is shed abroad in your heart, and you can just open your heart to that. And if you want to express that love, there's a couple adjustments that you have to make. And one of them is, it's probably going to hurt. I hope that's okay. Look at Hosea. He got involved in people. He, got, he was prepared to get involved in a relationship with somebody in order to manifest the love and the life of Jesus. He got involved in a relationship to the extent where he would have experienced great personal pain. He let his, his, his most intimate relationships be affected by being a message. Think of the pain. Think of the shame. Think of the social stigma. The prophet of God? Yeah, right. He married a prostitute. Good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not listening to you. You know? He was, but he was prepared to do it. Here's, a, here's something that I think is actually going to be really, really important for us in the, just in the times that we live in. Hosea, in order to, to embody and carry the love of God and share it through his life, he actually had to wrestle with his conscience which is pretty interesting because God basically looks at Hosea and says, you know what? For the sake of love, I want you to violate my own command. I want you to violate the law. See the, the adulterous woman? She's supposed to be stoned. We read that, right? She's supposed to die, right? And, he, and God's like, uh, no, no, I want you to marry her. I want you to join yourself to her. Can you see Jesus there? See, Jesus, who had every right to destroy a fallen and wicked world, and he didn't. He became one with us. He took on our flesh. He entered right into the midst of our mess and all that we were. He actually joined himself to the mess that we were as a human race. Wow. See, Hosea had to get past his own emotional commitment to a previous word and a moral code that was built around that word even. And he had to embrace love. He had to embrace the heart of God for love and relationship over and above principles of right and wrong. That's tricky. See, Jesus had the same issue. It says of of Jesus, right, when he was in the wilderness that the devil left for a more opportune time. I think John chapter 8 was one of those more opportune times where it says the Pharisees came to test him. And they brought him a woman who who was caught in adultery. And Jesus experienced the same test that Hosea would have experienced. Well, the law says she should be stoned. 
what's Jesus going to do? Would he, would he remain steadfastly committed to the, to the letter and the rule of the law and stone this woman? Would he be obedient to the law? Or would he embrace the love and the grace of God and manifest compassion and mercy to her? And you know what? Thankfully, he did. Thankfully, he chose relationship and mercy over the sacrifices and the, the demands of the law. Thankfully, he did that. that, that that's tough to live out in practice. You know, it's one thing to have a, to have a doctrine, to have a, to have a belief system for how you think the world should look, and then to actually go have relationships with people in the world. Those are some of the challenges that we have to not run away from, but run to. That's what Jesus did. He said, a body you've prepared for me. Here I go. I'm getting rolled. I'm getting right stuck in. I'm rolling up my sleeves and joining these people in their mess. I'm not afraid of their mess. I can handle it. I can do it. I can get and become one of them and bring them out of it. That's what Jesus did. So the word became flesh, dwelt among us. And he still made flesh. He still is. So there's a word that, that can change a nation. There's a word that can bring Canada from, from what's manifesting out there into the preferred future. But it's a word that's been deposited in our hearts. It's a word that's in us. And we have to be prepared to do more than just speak it, although you do have to speak it. It's voice activated. But it, it, it's life-empowered. It, it, it's something that happens and comes to fruition and is fully revealed and fully seen and fully caught when it's lived out. And you know what? We as a people have to just have a ridiculous confidence that we have that. Because we do. We have the Word of God in us. We, we have become, uh, as members of the body of Christ, we, we are the Word made flesh again. We did not be afraid to dwell amongst them. We got to not be afraid to say, hey, everybody, come and experience the life and the love and the word and the power of God that resides in me and in you. So good. All right, second aspect of that word that's going to take us from here to here, that's going to take a nation from manifesting brokenness and despair and awfulness to a preferred future. You got to know this. It's a loving, grace-filled, and affectionate word. It really is. It's a good word. I'll explain this in a second, but the reality is, is what, God, what needs to happen to manifest the fullness of everything that God's, God has in, in, in mind for us, it's already been done. Yeah. It's already been done in us. It's already been done in you. It's already been done for the whole world. It really has. But some people have it in our heads that the, the word that needs to come in order to correct and deal with and address the, the bad stuff and to pull you into something better is that that word has to be harsh. It has to be mean. It has to be judgmental. It has to be condemning. It, it has to be all about judgment and discipline and correction and all that stuff. Now, don't get me wrong. God does discipline, and he does correct us. And you know what? That's actually a really good thing to embrace. It means that you are a child, right? Does that say that in Hebrews? Thank God he disciplines us because he disciplines everybody he accepts as a son, as a daughter. It's evidence that you're in the family if God's speaking to you about some of the stuff in your life. It's not a problem. Proverbs says, hey, the wise embrace correction. Love it. It's the love of my father to me. But you know what? Oftentimes, and this is really important to note, when you read Hosea, when you read some of the prophets in the, in the Bible, you're going to read some ugly stuff. Like uh, even in Hosea, it says, Hosea says, God's going to come to you like a lion. He's going to rip the heart out of your rib cage. You're going to meet God like a bear robbed of his cubs, and he's going to do X, Y, and Z to you. Well, guess what? God didn't actually come down and do that to anybody. Do you know who did it? The Assyrians. 
722, the Assyrians came and absolutely destroyed and ransacked northern Israel, took people away. So a lot of the discipline stuff in the Bible, I would just say when you read it, uh, look at what's really happening. And oftentimes you're going to find things like this. You're going to find things like Hosea 8-7 where it says, they planted the wind and they harvest the whirlwind. In other words, you did something silly and you're going to reap the consequence of the silly thing you did. I'm not going to do it to you. I'm not doing it. Hosea 10, 13, but you've cultivated wickedness, then you're harvesting a thriving crop of sins. In other words, you did it. You did it. That's silly. The people have appointed kings without my consent, princes without my approval, by making idols for themselves from their silver and gold. They brought about their own destruction. See, oftentimes what we think is correction and discipline sometimes is the accuser. If God's speaking about your stuff, sometimes it's just to say, you know what? That's hurting you. Let's, let's do something different. It's not necessarily, you know what? I'm coming with harshness and threatening, and I'm going to get you unless you change your ways. Hosea 5, 7, now their false religion will devour them. That's interesting. Their false religion will devour them. See, God doesn't need to make us pay for our sins. There, there's a, there's a, a bad consequence already connected to sin. When you do it, it hurts, so don't do it. Um, but God's actually in the business of helping us avoid the consequence of our sins. That's called mercy, yeah. right? So don't be fooled. You, you're going to reap what you sow, but bring God in the situation, and, and, and it can turn around. Absolutely can. So when, just think about that when you read about the judging stuff and all, all that kind of stuff. But when God speaks a word that takes you from, from this manifestation to a different one, it's a good word. It's a kind word. Listen to this in Hosea chapter 2. He says, then I will win her back again. New King James Version says, I'll allure her. I'll lead her into the desert or into the wilderness, and I'll speak tenderly to her. Or the New King James Version says, I'll speak to her heart, and she'll give herself to me there. See, if you feel like you're, you're in a wilderness season, if you feel like, you know, you got to go through this awful place of testing and harsh conditions and all that kind of stuff, and God's looking at your life right now saying, you know what, I'm going to make all this bad stuff happen to you so that you'll develop enough character so I can finally put you into your ultimate destiny, that's, that's not the wilderness, according to Hosea. Hosea has a different version of the wilderness. See, you could never pass all the tests, right? I hope that's resounding right. We could never pass the test. Israel showed us that. They went through the desert. They failed all their tests. Jesus shows up, goes in the wilderness, and passes all the tests, and now we get his grades, right? Here's the thing about the wilderness. It doesn't change you. Your circumstances don't change you. Difficulty doesn't change you. There's only one source of transformation. That's the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So if you feel like you're in this holding pattern and you've put your life on delay and you can't manifest this preferred future because somehow right now God's doing something harsh to you to develop character, that's not true. Hosea says that's not true. Do you know what happens in the wilderness? The wilderness is a place where he says he speaks to you tenderly. He speaks to your heart. He speaks his love to you. He shares his heart with you. He speaks into your life in, in a way that only he can. He speaks to you in, in a personal and in an individual type way. See, the wilderness is the place where you experience his love and his affection, where you hear those kind words of grace spoken over your life. And, and by faith, hearing those words, hearing the words of God's love and affection, by faith, that actually awakens you to what he's already put in you. 
He's not trying to mess with your life in order to make you change. He's trying to tell you he loves you so much so you'll wake up to the fact that he's actually done something pretty powerful in you. See, the wilderness is the place where all those Bible verses that we learn and we memorize about our identity in Christ, it's in the wilderness. It's in that place where it's just you and God, where the false religion and the false alliances and all that stuff is torn down, where the only thing that you've got is you and Jesus. And it's in that place where he speaks to your heart and, and you come alive in your identity and the presence of his love and affection for you. That's the wilderness. That's his wilderness. See, we don't need God to come and do something to us to take us from here to here. He's already done what he's going to do. He really has. See, Hosea saw a day, just the times that he lived in, he saw a day where God would do something powerful for the Israelites. But on this side of the cross, in, in these last days, he's already moved on our behalf. He's already empowered us. He's already blessed us, equipped us, qualified us, anointing, anointed us. So if the word that we're waiting for is a word in the wilderness of instruction or evaluation of our performance, or a word that's going to bring us the six steps to start to manifesting that destiny, no, not going to hear it. Not the word. Not the word that empowers you to start to manifest the fullness of his destiny. The word you need to hear is, hey, I love you. The, the, what, what word launched Jesus into his destiny? It's my son, whom I'm well pleased. Right? It wasn't a word of all that stuff. No, it was, it was a kind word. It was a word of love. It was a word of, of affection. It's a word of belonging. It's a, it's a word of grace. Hosea looked ahead and he said, Hosea 7 uh, verse 1, I want to heal Israel. He asked the, God asked the question in Hosea 13, 14, should I ransom them? Hosea 14, 4, I will heal you of your faithlessness and my love will know no bounds. Hosea is looking ahead. He says, I will show love to those not called loved. To those who are not my people, I will call my people. But now, when you're in that place where it's you face to face with Jesus, do you know what you hear in your wilderness? You hear Jesus say, by my stripes, you are healed. You are complete in me. God speaks to your heart, and, and he does it in a way that, that connects with you personally. He does it in and through a body of people. See, there's a loving and affectionate word embodied in a people. The Apostle Paul had this revelation in Ephesians 3. He said, I pray that you would together, together come to know, together have the power to comprehend the height, the width, the depth, the breadth, the love of God. See, this, when we come together, the, the, the Christians in the, in the early, early Christianity, they, they, they had these things called love feasts when they got together. They got together and, and it was described, their, their, their meeting, their gathering, the way they did the Lord's Supper, everything. It was just so saturated in love. It was an encounter with the love of God that that's actually how it's recorded for us in history. Yeah. Love feasts. Yeah. Crazy. You come to church and you should have a ridiculous encounter with the word of God embodied in a people and the love of God communicated deeply to your heart. When that's the word, I'll tell you what, that's transformation. That's what's going to move things. That's what's going to take us into that preferred future. So here's the thing about Hosea. I'm going to sum it up real quick. What do we learn from the book of Hosea? Obviously, there's a whole bunch of other stuff. This is what I saw. But you got to know that God has a preferred future for your life. For you. Personally. For your family. Your relationships, your, your job, that place that you work. I mean, you might look at it and be like, man, this place sucks. God has a plan for it. Because the knowledge of his glory is going to fill the whole earth even where we work, even where we live, even our neighborhoods, even our city, even this country. He has a preferred future. And the way that he would get us there is through his word. 
he would send a word, and it would be a word embodied in a people. We are becoming and have become a word as a people to the city, to our country. I mean, actually, what's in us and what's in our DNA is global. God's put a word in us. And we, you know, people come and, and they need to rub shoulders against that, and we need to be comfortable with it, okay with it. And if you want to hear the word and, and actually have the, the word of God that, that moves you into an actualized future, you got to open up and say, you know what? I'm, I'm going to find my place in that body. I'm going to find my place where the word is made flesh. I'm going to interact with that word. See, it's good to read books. It's good to do all that kind of stuff. It's good to, to get a word. It's good to, to, to read a word, to watch a word. But I'm telling you, the most impactful word is the one you're going to experience face-to-face with somebody else. And we need to learn that the word that we need to hear, the word that launches us, it's a kind word. It really is. We really have to understand that when you want to hear the voice of God, you know what he's speaking to you? He's saying, I love you. I'm pleased with you. I'm happy with you. I'm not mad at you. I'm not upset with you. I love you. You're totally accepted, completely embraced. God's not saying when you do this, when you do that, then you're going to be qualified. He's saying you are qualified. You're fully equipped for everything I've put in your life. He's saying you are anointed. You are. Right now, presently, right now, in Christ, the anointed one, you are anointed. Don't chase that thing around. Embrace it. Enjoy what you've got. Enjoy it. It's not a word that drives performance. It's not a word that strategizes. It's a sloppy, crazy, ridiculous word of love that will actually take you beyond the bounds of what you presently thought you knew about the word of God, like Hosea. And it's going to bring you into a radical, messy experience with the love of God. And it's going to overflow out of you in ways that right now you might not even be able to see or believe. The love of God manifested in a people, the grace of God, when you become a living epistle, you're, you're moving out into, into areas and realms and relationships and boundaries that, that previously you had been locked in. This takes you into something different. When you, when you, when you become the word, when you, when you manifest the word that's been put on the inside of you and you let it express itself through your life, as well as the speaking, things start to move. Things start to shift things start to change, and they change for you personally, and that's okay. It's okay to, to, to be like, God, I'm, I'm wrestling with this. I'm wrestling with this person. I'm wrestling with this relationship. I'm wrestling with it. It's okay. It's good. God's going to reveal himself through you in a big, big way. Is it, was it one of those Michael Jackson songs that said, like, be the change or something like that? Yeah? <laughs> I don't know. But Jesus in you. You know what? You sum it all up like this. What is the hope of glory for, for the country? What is the hope of glory for the city? What's the hope of glory for my life, for my family? Christ in you. Christ in you. A living word made flesh again in you. Amen? Amen. 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 All right.